There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Great to have a room full of engineers. We have a, a extremely fine, world-class, in my mind, in, in, in his own mind, engineer uh, with us today. My name is George Grumbacher. This is Centauri Minor. This Hello, is the folks. Figure It Out podcast. We've been going at it for about a year and a half. This will be number, I think, 75. And this will be Jeez. the third um, episode that we've done at Grand Canyon University. So excited to partner with you guys. Um, and we definitely want to have a lot of fun. You'll be able to find it on uh, iTunes or Google or wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on YouTube. So if anybody has any horrible outbursts, just know that it's going to be there forever. So we're going to talk for uh, 30, 40 minutes and then give you guys an opportunity to ask any questions that you want of Eric. So we always endeavor to, to have a fun um, and hopefully really, really informative event. So sound good? Yeah. All right. Awesome. What time does class actually start? Mm. Wow. Wow. That's a good point. Did anybody else get any cotton candy or is this just, just this guy? Okay. <laughs> you got some also. All right. So there's social proof of it. Well, excellent. Well, let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. My name is George Grombach. Joining me as always is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today. It's Mr. Eric Miller, the CEO of PADT Engineering. Welcome, sir. Thank you. And and I'm not the CEO. I'm a partner. He's There's a partner. three owners of the company, so we have no CEO. Yeah. And accuracy is important, and so is research. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a valid assumption to make. but <laughs> Yes. Well, sometimes sometimes I just go with those assumptions until somebody corrects me. So, yeah. But if my, if my partners are listening, I like to point out that I'm Fair enough. the CEO. <laughs> And even more important than that, potentially, is that Eric is our first two-time guest. Ooh, returning oh, really? I feel guest. honored. Oh, my wow. God. Yeah, wow. For sure. So Thank we had you. an awesome time with you last uh -huh. time and expect to have an awesome time good. again. Very good. Okay. So when you do a quick Google search of Centauri Minor, what you find is information about where to find a constellation in the night sky. Is that true? No. I, mean, yeah, I, was like, that's I thought that was true. true actually. Actually. <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Isn't Centauri Minor sound like a constellation? It does, yeah. yeah. So, no, it's, it's this gentleman right here. It's me. When you do a quick Google search of Eric Miller, what, what comes up is a world-famous flamenco guitar player in Sedona. Well, there it used to be a serial killer, so that's okay. good. Yeah, for <laughs> Early in the internet, it was a serial killer. So, uh, I'm happy that it's a flamenco player. That's good. Okay. Yeah, good, perfect. Good. So good. <laughs> I brought a ukulele with, just in case. Yeah, that's not me. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Sorry. Tone so we have, a, we have a new segment to our show that we refer to as three over three. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that we want to hear from Eric the three biggest pieces of learning that he's acquired over the past three years. So, okay. Take it away, sir. So I think uh, three years ago, probably the biggest uh, is a personal thing is that I can run a half marathon. Wow. And I didn't think I could do it. I'm not the most in shape guy, not the most athletic guy in the world. And uh, I actually didn't think I could do it. But my friends basically guilted me into it. And uh, I did it. Uh, I've done a couple since then. But but yeah, I, I think at my age, I turned 50. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I didn't think I would do. And so that was a big thing 
you know, one of those uh, kind of huh moments that you can do these things even later in life. So how it's much never training or preparation? A lot. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot. It what takes a lot. Which is which is what? Yeah, thirteen point one. And this is why I haven't done one in a while. Yeah, yeah. It it it's actually can be enjoyable, but in a weird way. But uh, yeah. So that that was the thing I learned probably three years ago. Let's see, two years ago that was what two thousand. 16 was a business lesson that uh, if you expand your business faster than your revenue, you will lose money. Ah, turns out, turns out, <laughs> turns out, uh, you do not make it up on volume. Um, so, so we went through a bit of an expansion phase in 2015, 2016, and we ran into a sign. We'd always run our business on a cash basis. We don't really do loans. Uh, we try to keep a large cash balance, and that that got us through it. But it was pretty much down to looking for pennies and pockets type of a thing by the end there, and and it was and it's it's paid off. We that that growth did turn into revenue, but it lags, you know, one to two mm-hmm. to three years. Um, so you got to be really careful about that. We're going through a growth spurt right now, and hoping that we learn from that lesson and be a little bit more careful about how we grow and and not expecting the revenue to come in instantaneously. Just for the record, the firm was founded in 1994, mm-hmm. so it took a long time to learn that lesson, yeah. but better late than never. It was our first uh, money loss year since our first year. Okay, so awesome. I have to say. And, and actually, from a tech, if there's any IRS people listening, I think we actually did end up posting a small profit uh, from a cash basis, but that was just when we decided to write things off and not write things off. Um, so that was the first time that it happened, and so it was definitely a, definitely a lesson learned for us. Let's see, last year, 2017, hmm. I think the the big thing I learned um, was what I talked about about Startup Week is to uh, get out of my comfort zone and let fear be kind of an indicator to me about uh, pushing myself to do new and more exciting things, um, not not being comfortable. That was kind of the lesson for last year. Excellent. I was telling George, um, I was reading this article and I, my CEO, I sent it to my CEO and he's like, everyone on the team needs to read it, but it was about uh, self-awareness and it, it's, mm-hmm. it tells... It's a great look at how humans just in general are not very self-aware. Like we think we're smarter than we are. We think we're funnier than we are. And a good, a good group of people to actually that are accurate in giving you an, a view of yourself are coworkers. So not yeah. friends, mm-hmm. not your significant other. They said if you actually want to know how you present yourself to the world, it's coworkers. So talk a little bit about your partners and how they've perhaps changed you and things. Yeah. I have the, the kind of the unique advantage of someone running a business of having two other people running it with me. It's pretty rare these days. Uh, most people uh, run their businesses as a single, there's one guy in charge. And, and so I think it's, it's good. Uh, but it does do exactly what you say is sometimes I'll be spouting off about something. And uh, one of my partners, Ray Chu is, who's much quieter than me, who would not do a podcast. Uh, he doesn't say a lot, but when he does, you need to listen to him. He said that just the other day, in fact, uh, well, why would you want to do that? Why, why are you so upset about it? It's, it's kind of a stupid idea anyway. And he didn't say it that blunt, bluntly, but that's kind of what he said. And I thought, you know, that's, that's somebody that's watching me, that's close, that's honest with me. And you know what? He's right. And we're not always right about what we assess with each other, but it is an interesting point of view. So it's a really good point. And I, I do have that advantage having two partners. And I, and I do have a very open door policy with my employees. And eventually they realize they can pretty much say anything to me. So sometimes they do give me some constructive criticism. This is most of the time I try and listen. You know. I, sh- I should get some more coworkers, huh, Centauri? Yes, <laughs> The dog's not giving you good feedback? The dog's not giving me any feedback at all. (laughs) Well, uh, you started in 1994, Mm -hmm. and 
I had to do a little bit of math, but I imagine that that's before many of you people were even considerations. Um, but Wait, what is the like, what year were people born? Like you, what how what year were you born? Ninety-five. Oh my god! Oh jeez. So yeah, it's twenty-four years. So there's a lot of people in this class that, are, that were created after I uh, started the company. And every company at one point was a startup. Yep. Right, and you had your an entrepreneurial mm-hmm. mission or. Uh, journey and it's still going on obviously so mm-hmm. talk us talk us through that process well well first thing is we didn't call it a startup back then it's kind of that's kind of a new thing uh we were entrepreneurs uh we were starting a consulting company was kind of what we thought about it the whole concept of startups didn't really exist at that time or it really wasn't popular at that time um so it was but it's not uncommon for people in large corporations to kind of decide to uh go out on your own and that's that's our story is we all worked at what's now Honeywell. I don't know if any of your parents worked there through the years at Garrett, used to be called, and then Allied Signal. And so we did we did the high-end engineering there. We were kind of an internal consulting group, and they were going through layoff after layoff after layoff in the early 90s. We decided to kind of ha- control our own destiny. That was really the driver for leaving. Uh, people leave for a lot of different reasons. Ours were two. One was to control our destiny. At that point in corporate America, no matter how good you were, there was no guarantee you would stay. Um, there was it was definitely a downsizing period and a and a spin off and selling period. So we wanted to control where we were headed. And the other was we wanted to go to a place where we wanted to go to work in the morning. Um, it was we were just kind of dragging ourselves out of bed and forcing ourselves to go to work. And there's there's no way to spend a thirty year career or forty year career. So that was really our driver for starting PADT. And that's why we're not a growth company. We're not a we're not a, you know, want to get acquired company. We created an environment that we wanted to work in where we could do the things we wanted to do. And that was kind of our, our journey as a company um, in starting it out. It's still still true today. So for level setting for uh, folks who might have not heard the first podcast, what is what do you do? That's a good point. Um, what do we do? I'm sure all of you were like, what <laughs> So you guys are actually engineers, so you might actually know what I'm talking about um, or you're studying it right now. So we're a mechanical engineering products and services company. So we do three things. The first is a numerical simulation. So we're a distributor for ANSYS. I don't know if you guys have been exposed to ANSYS yet, but it's a numerical FEA, CFD, uh, high-frequency electromagnetic simulation tool. So we virtually prototype products. Um and we sell that and we do it as a service. The second is product development. So we work with companies from startups to multinationals and help them design, test, and get to manufacturing their products. And then the third is 3D printing, which I'm sure you guys are all very familiar with. Um, we've been doing that since we started the company 24 years ago. And we sell 3D printers. We actually sold you some of your printers here. And we also uh, do that as a service for people. And there's about 10 other small things that we do that kind of help engineers get products out the door, like scanning, and we sell custom computers, and we do consulting for like injection molding. These are all things that kind of help uh, people get products to market. That's kind of the business we're in. We, we just hit 90 people with a guy accepting an offer yesterday in Southern California. So we've gone through another bit of a growth spurt. Hopefully the revenue is going to be closer to this expense this time. Um, and uh, we're expanding into Texas and Southern California. Congratulations. I'm curious, um, since you employ a lot of engineers, what mm-hmm. would be one of the things that, especially for this group, mm-hmm. that you wish that most of your employees knew the first day that they started? That they have a lot to learn. <clears throat> that problem solving is more important than all that come through the door with. So, so, so there's, there's, you should learn the fundamentals in school, learn how to work with other people, basic math, basic engineering. That's key. 
but those problem solving skills are what engineers, that's what we do, right? Engineers solve problems. That, that's really what we do. Whether you're manufacturing or design, whether you're a designer doing the new iPhone case, or you're a guy working on a, a hinge on a, on a car in Detroit, it's all about solving problems and using the tools and your experience to figure out how to get that product to work and at a cost effective way. And that's, that's what engineering really is. And, and that's, that's what it's all about. I would have to imagine that it absolutely demands that just mm-hmm. things change yeah. so rapidly now and will continue to change so rapidly. So just because you have some kind of a skill set right mm-hmm. now doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you're going to use that for very much longer. So I wanted to talk a little bit about innovation yeah. and over the course of your career, how that's changed and where it's going. Well, innovation is a thing now. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know that when I was in school, we even so I graduated in. 86 from UC Berkeley, uh, which is pretty, pretty, you know, cutting edge school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an entrepreneurship class, which would be, be your, your startup class now, right? Um, we didn't, I don't even think we even used the word innovation. Uh, it was really, it really wasn't the thing it is now. I mean, we were innovating, but we weren't conscious about it, right? We were, we were just making better products or, or solving problems. So I think we're more conscious about innovation now. I think that people recognize from a business standpoint, that innovation creates new markets and is a way for you to grow faster. Um, and I think that's the business push for it. Um, and that that's what we certainly see with ourselves and our customers is, you know, we're not just, okay, well, it works, get it out the door. I mean, a, a great example is the cell phone, right? Uh, when I started the business, we didn't even have cell phones. I had a pager. We were very excited about our first awesome. pager. Awesome. Um, and this whole transformation where all of you have in front of you or in your pocket a supercomputer that does so many different things, um, the innovation that's gone on in that one device is mind-numbing and maybe more significant than happened over the first 2,000 years of industry. Um, so the pace of innovation is probably the biggest, besides being self-conscious about it, being conscious about innovation, the pace of innovation is insane. It's just insane. And very hard to keep up with and, and something that you have to keep focused on because you get, we're getting behind all the time. Like there's new ways of doing things that our customers will say, well, what about this? Like, well, I didn't know you could do that. We're supposed to be the experts. So um, it's kind of exciting and, and a little scary and that's a good thing. So we, um, in the, the first podcast that we had with you, we, the, the conversation pivoted to a lot to AI mm-hmm. and the, um, yeah. the future of that. And there's a, an article that came out two days ago, which you all should read. It's about a 12 minute read called uh, Reimagining the World, A World Without Work. And it talks about, like, we are going to hit this point where a large swath of people will just not have jobs because of artificial intelligence and robotics. Like, there will be people that are just unemployable because those mm-hmm. jobs no longer exist. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about trends that you're seeing and things that are... Yeah, I mean, it's it's so true. Um, you know, what we saw in our industry was a transfer of intellectual work from the U.S. to foreign countries. And that's kind of settled down a little bit. Um you know, the markets do tend to balance out and some of that work's coming back because those countries are getting to be just as expensive. Um, there's certain things that we kept in the U.S. The same, I think, is going to happen with AI and that there's going to be, uh, like, my favorite example is truck drivers, right? Truck driving has been a career that pretty much anybody could get into and have a profession with. That's not going to exist in 10 years, maybe less time, Right. That, that is a huge segment of the population that's going to be gone. And there's going to be a lot of other jobs like that where um, we're seeing it happen. Automation in manufacturing mm. is significant. Um, 
in, in, the, in the world of engineering, one of the things you guys will face is uh, your products will be made by a factory manned by five people, right? Instead of sending it to China and having, you know, 200 people assemble it, it's going to be five people making sure the robots are working. Mm-hmm. And that's a significant change. So it brings up the social question of, well, what do we do? Okay, with yeah. If, if you're if you're the person that's actually coming up with the products, that's great. That's good. That's why being an engineer is a good thing. We'll always find something to do. There's always problems to be solved. But what if you're the person that drives the truck, or what if you're the person that works in the store that that sells the product? That's all going to be gone. Um, so what do we do with those people? And if they don't have any job, they're not going to buy the product. So you're not going to have. It's a cycle, right? The, the whole the whole business cycle. So I, I wish I knew the answer. Um, but uh, since we've had that podcast, I've thought about it a lot. And I haven't figured it out. Mm. <laughs> Read a lot of science fiction, good science fiction about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a pickle, right? I think yeah. that 10 to 12% of, of Americans make their living by driving. So that's a huge number. And then once you get to 30% of people without a job, well, then the economy sort of collapses unless you have a plan for it. So. Yeah, do you do you do a minimum uh, basically a welfare right? Do you have a, a minimum guaranteed salary, yeah. and then what does that do to people's motivation? I mean, ideally we all become artists, right? And we all we all do create wonderful, beautiful things and share them with each other and yeah. and cook some things. But you know, history shows that mm, that's going to happen to a small number of people. But most people are just going to get lazy, <laughs> and then it's all going to kind of fall apart. So I think we have a problem. I think we do have a problem. So that makes me. I, I was curious about the the. I think innovation is, is, is exciting and mm-hmm. new things are exciting, but is there an inflection point where just because there's new stuff, it's not useful, there's, there's, there's no utility to it, it's just too much stuff, it's now diffusing and I'm wasting my time trying to... Well, I, I use Fitbit as an example of that, right? Mm-hmm. So Fitbit was huge, right? How many people here have a Fitbit in a drawer at home? Yeah, yeah, but don't use it anymore, right? Um, <clears throat> Some people still wear them, yeah, but but you know that 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 was huge, right? That was a thing. That was a transformative technology. And I went to a conference in the Bay Area about uh, hardware that's used to monitor human beings, and and they use that as an example of, boy, we got tricked. Everybody thought Fitbit was going to be the thing. They never made any money on that. Nobody made. I mean, people that sold stock made money, but the company mm-hmm. itself never made money. It was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really hear about that, but it, but that happens a lot with innovation. Is it's a new thing. But what's the real value? Okay, I know how many steps I took. That's cool for about two months. And then it's no longer cool, right? And some people, it's a valuable tool for weight loss and exercise. But for the vast majority of people, it was kind of a novelty. And that happens a lot with innovation. Um, and, and I wish we could predict, I wish I could predict because I'd be a wealthy person, <laughs> which ones are going to be transformative and which ones are going to be hype. Um, but I think that's a great example of a technology that everybody got really, really excited about. I think, I think blockchain's another one um, that we don't really know what that's going to do. Um, you know, there's all the hype and excitement about the, the bubble around the currency that uses blockchain, that you're making your own money and selling it, which makes, there's, there's no value there other than the perceived potential value, right? So oh, that's going to collapse. Say that about any currency. You can say any currency, except that society has accepted it as having Fair value, enough. right? There's, there's no intrinsic value in fiat money, correct? But um, we've accepted that when a government, a major government, puts out money, that that I will accept your right. dollar bill right, right, to right, be right, worth right. some amount. No one's agreed on what a bitcoin is worth, right? <laughs> so it's all speculative at this point. And but the blockchain technology behind it is a new way to store transactions. And everybody's all excited about it, right? Everybody's doing shows. I think there's a, there's a 
King and Crypto Club, right? Is that about cryptocurrency, right? Over there. Right? Everybody's all excited about this technology, but what really is it? And what is it going to really do? You're not going to do bank transactions with that. It's too freaking slow. You know, milliseconds is what you want for a bank transaction, not five minutes, which is what it takes for a blockchain transaction. But maybe your health records, maybe your... Uh, uh, your your uh, personal identification. Maybe that's how you're going to verify who you really are. Um, I don't know what that's going to be like, but I think that's a technology that could be transformative or maybe one of these technologies that we all get excited about and we go, whatever happened to blockchain? Yeah. I love your thoughts on, and I know this is uh, not necessarily engineering related, but um, this kind of tech backlash. So you see more mm-hmm. and more, even the early, um, the early folks at... Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Google that are saying, you know, we created this monster, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's really bad what's happening right now. But I'd love to get your thoughts. Well, well and, and a, a far more articulate man who, who was the president for a while named Barack Obama just did an off-the-record speech that leaked out about that very topic. And mm. if you can find it on the Internet, do it. It's brilliant assessment of this impact of this two-edged sword of this technology. And, of course, he saw the brunt of it, and we see it in our politics today, that that we have people that believe two totally different things because they're listening to two totally different um, feeds of information and there's no standard, right? There's no, there's no ethics behind that. You can make stuff up and put it out mm-hmm. there and people like it, so they agree with it. And enough people like it, or enough fake bots promote it and it becomes, oh, well, everybody else likes it, so it must be true. Um, I think the big difference since the last time we talked is the fact that we've identified that there are bad players out there that are promoting information and making it look like it's more popular than it is and giving it credibility. I mean, that's when you get down to it, that's really what the Russians have been doing, right? Is they've been, and other people is they've been promoting um, trains of thought that they feel are disruptive and making it look more popular than it is. That's terrifying, right? So um, I think that we have to take responsibility as technologists to, I think, I think this goes back to when I was a, an engineering student, we would sit around in the dorm at two o'clock in the morning and talk about, would I make a nuclear bomb, right? What are, what are the moral and ethical questions about that, making mm-hmm. this weapon of mass destruction? Um, you're going to face, if you're working in, in social media, maybe the same question of, I've created this very powerful tool that allows anybody to spread any idea, no matter how true or not true. I mean, there's flat earthers out there. <laughs> Can you believe that? There's people that believe the earth is flat, and that's because of social media. Right. That's the only reason why they exist. I thought we got rid of that idea, but it well, turns yeah. out. turns out, no. <laughs> no. I mean, that's a great example. And the Russian, and, and we found out the Russians are promoting it. That, that's one of the things that their bots really? are doing is, is, is <laughs> upping the flat earthers so it looks like, well, maybe that's I'm awesome. not alone in this thought. Right? Right. Right? They're trying to disrupt us. They're trying to create chaos. So um, we, 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 it's, just, it's just insane. So that's an ethical question that, that you guys will have to face in the future and, and my generation before we retire is, you know, we create these very powerful tools that can be used for good. The Internet certainly and social media can be used for incredible good. Uh, my wife belongs to a group of people that's grown to be huge. It's built around a charity in England that's just a support. It's this gigantic group of women that support each other. You know, husband's got cancer. Oh, you know, thank you know, ideas. This is just a wonderful tool for connecting people. And then I look at the crap that goes on on there as well. And so I think we have to ask ourselves as people that create this technology, should we, is totally open the right thing? Mm. You know, we create laws in society for, one of the things that's happened to the internet is we kind of forgot about law. The internet grew without laws, right? It's totally open and totally free. 
And we didn't regulate it because we didn't really know what it was and we didn't really know how. And now we're saying, hmm, everything else we've done, we've regulated to some extent. So as a society, we create laws for a reason. Maybe we should be looking at social media and putting, maybe you can't post anything on the internet. You know, maybe there should be some rules about that. Good luck with that one, Eric. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great thought, huh? <laughs> that genie's out of the bottle. <laughs> that is a tricky one. And I don't know enough about really net neutrality mm-hmm. and what's really going on with that to speak articulately. I don't know if you do or if you have thoughts on that. But Well, yeah, net neutrality, I think, is a little bit different in that that's saying to a corporation rather than a, a agreed upon arbi- ar- arbitrator of the government. Um, you can decide what content goes through your your network or not. Um, I don't necessarily trust multinational corporations to decide what I want. They're motivated by by greed, which is which is fine, and that's that's good if it's uh, deciding what soda I want to drink, but may not be good what, what information I want right. to mm-hmm. interpret. So that's why I'm I'm again I'm for net neutrality, um, but at the same time, maybe the government should be putting in some sort of a control over it and saying, hey, Facebook, you know, you're liable if someone posts on there go kill yourself. Like somebody, this is a common thing now, right? I'm upset. I'm a teenager. I'm upset. I feel bad. You reach out to the social media and you say, I feel like killing myself. And there are people that say, do it. There's sadly, there's people out there that say, do it. Well, those people should be liable, but should the social media provider be liable? That's a question we should be asking ourselves, Hmm. right? So that's, that's something that we should look at, I think. Indeed. Big issues That's to a bummer. tackle. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Suicide. Does anybody watch Black Mirror? That, that that TV show, Black Mirror. Love it. Um, did you see the Metalhead episode with the with the little robot that goes around and uh, it chases the people and tries to kill them? No, I didn't see that one. But it's awesome. Uh, I have to see that one. I don't think I spoiled it. You could just kind of. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, it was like the dog looking. Yeah, thing. kind of yeah, like yeah. a dog. Yeah, that was an awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that one. Yeah. And I went on YouTube it was so and there's sad. there's like this Boston Scientific. Yes. robot that looks just like that thing. I'm like, really? So how much longer do we have? We have to be really careful. I until mean, the robots kill us. Yeah, I mean, it, it's there's a reason why, you know, uh, there's a lot of good science fiction about these things. And because it makes you think black, to me, Black Mirror, Mirror is, I grew up on uh, uh, Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Uh, and, and this is a modern Twilight Zone, and I love the way it makes you think about these things, and that's a great episode. The social media one about ranking each other mm. was my favorite one so far because I was dealing, when I saw that, I was dealing with this guy that we had pissed off. He was a, I don't want to call him a customer because we fired him as a customer, but he was mad because we wouldn't do business with him, so he slammed us on social media, and it was just, you know, it wasn't the same thing where I ended up showing up to a wedding covered in mud, but it was... Like, how do I deal with this when somebody is unfairly ranking me? So these, this is, this, I think it asks great questions about modern society. You guys are in robotics, yes? Mm-hmm. A little bit, yep. So you're going to be responsible for that. Yeah. <coughs> um. we, we try to work with dumb robotics. Okay. So robotics that uh, don't ask moral questions. <laughs> it just basically picks something up and moves it from one place to another. So you won't be responsible for the uprising? I hope I well. I think, like we discussed before, if I am, I want to make sure I'm on their side, right? So I, I will leave that back door in there. I mean, it's it's a, it's a real serious. We we do work with a, a company like the one in, in Boston um, that is actually in Utah that is building um, suits that go around people 
So it's for soldiers, right? And and workmen to it's like it's like uh, transform not transform is it transform Iron Man I, Iron Man it's Iron Man right? Um, they're actually building those suits uh, there. Uh, Raytheon owned them for a while, but they spun them back off again. And there are some questions about that 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 I kind of question sometimes when I'm looking at that. Going from a technology standpoint, it's so freaking cool. But what does this mean if if the military has this ability to be superhuman? Do you trust your military? I do. <coughs> But, you know, things can go south pretty quickly. To a degree, we already have it, right, with drones. Yeah, drones are another great example of something that's transformed in the last five years that there won't be pilots anymore, right? Mm-hmm. The, and, and so that, that human deciding, that, hu- that human interaction, um, when you're pulling the trigger, it's now a video game. So it's, a, it's another moral and ethical question that we have to ask ourselves. I think that the idea of some of the episodes on Black Mirror talk about consciousness and then transferring it, I think mm-hmm. that that probably falls under the engineering realm of how you'd actually do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your thoughts? That was another great episode. I, I yeah. we, could, we could actually just do an episode, <laughs> one of your podcasts on Straight every episode of, of Black Mirror because it does ask those great questions. Um, yeah, I think that we're, we're starting to look at genetic memory, right? So using genes as a way to store information and that gets into maybe we can store memories right because that's the complexity that's required to store what your neural network looks like up here and so there's a lot of research going into that i I was actually at a potential customer in utah monday they it's a a really interesting device i won't say what it is because it's still proprietary but but the competition can never get their products to do what they're doing using normal computer algorithms they applied a neural network to it. And they, so that's what we're talking about here is using computers to mimic the way, they're basically trying to replace what a doctor does when he looks at a picture and he diagnoses something. How do you do that with a computer? And they use neural networks to do that and they figured it out. So the, the, instead of the doctor figuring it out, it tells the doctor, this is my diagnosis. And it's 98% correct, which wow. is actually better than the doctor usually is. So that's a great example. So we're getting closer, right? We're being able to make the decisions that humans make um, using these neural networks and machine learning and things like that. So it's, it, it is coming, it is there, and uh, we have to ask ourselves, uh, do we want to regulate it? And if we don't, what if the Chinese... Let, let's take an example, um, human cloning. All right, we've banned that here in the U.S., but other countries are doing it. So what does that mean we need to do? Are we going to get behind? Should we do it? You know, what, what's, you know I, th- I think we should have controlled research in that area because if we don't, somebody else will that may not have. I mean, I, I, we, it's, it's good to be negative about you know, us, but I think we do have a higher moral purpose in this country, and I think we do tend to make the right decision more often than other countries do. And it scares me that countries that aren't motivated by the same things as we are are making these scary developments when we're not. Mm. So you're on the record saying that PADT is not doing human cloning. <laughs> I can. I did not actually say that. I said that other countries were, and that it was illegal in this country. <laughs> yes. Oh, fair that's enough. Helpful. But the, that lock on that door—that's just there to sure. store stuff. Yeah. Pay no attention. Yeah, pay no attention to that room. <laughs> so with, with 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 consciousness and being able to 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 theoretically speaking map it, mm-hmm. we're all just going to run into the matrix and leave our bodies at home, right? Just I was I was lame. teasing my children about that the other day. Yes, that, that I'm going to keep bothering them. That they're going to continue to get uh, text from me from the matrix. Yes, just got it. Just quick, quick little reminders, tips, mm-hmm. tidbits. Just, just continue to tell you you're wrong. 
that's basically my goal is my, my purpose is a parent so if it's uh um what am i let me put the thing on and mm-hmm. augmented reality or virtual yeah. reality mm-hmm. that that to a degree and there's that movie coming out i think it's player one or something about yeah i'm excited ready player, player one excited about that and that's got to be so close yeah and when you have a lot of Americans who are not really happy with their current lives, they hate their work, they, they're just not happy, they're not mm-hmm. healthy, why wouldn't I just plug into an ideal world? Mm-hmm. Well, WALL-E, uh, again, another movie that's been out for quite a while, um, but you guys probably watched as children, if not infants, uh, is a great, ex- I think a great Disney look at that, right? Yep. A Pixar look at that. But it's the same thing. It was a bunch of fat people sucking sodas down and living in a virtual world, right? Um, so... We have a lot of addictions. We've always had addictions as humans, right? And we keep on inventing new ways to escape reality. Um, you know, better drugs, now better realities. So we have to decide, are we just going to... Th- I think our problem with modern technology is we tend... It kind of the same thing is we tend to say, well, it's a new technology. It doesn't need to be regulated. You know, we used to regulate everything. I think there was a reason for it mm-hmm. um, and kind of slowly let it out. You know, when telephone companies came out, they didn't let everybody just make a telephone, right? They, they slowly would let that grow and we, and we controlled it and we made sure the companies had certain social responsibility. If you were given the right to be the telephone provider in a community, you had to do certain things. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, you had to do certain things. Same thing with TV, right? TV used to have a certain amount of public broadcast, public service broadcasting. They had to have a certain number of public service announcements. We kind of looked at these things from not a black and white perspective, but more of a, okay, free enterprise, do this. But if you're given this opportunity, we're going to control it a little bit. You have to give back a little bit. They're guardrails. They're little guardrails, right? Yeah. We don't do guardrails anymore. That's a really good way to look at it. I like that, guardrails. And we're with this new technology, there's no guardrails on AI. There's no guardrails on virtual reality. We could be, they're not going to have a job. They're going to be able to live in a virtual world. They're going to be able to to, to, to eat uh, or drink, uh, what's it called? Uh, Mountain Dew? Not Mountain Dew, the, the <clears throat> Soylent, right? Soylent uh, Green. Soylent Green, yeah. yes. Which which in the movie was people, but right. I think there's a new product that's not. Um, it's not green, it's just Soylent. Um, and we'll, what, what, should we allow that? I think we, it's our decision, right? We control our, we control the government, right? We can, we can say no. That's why we're having this conversation right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. We're going to vote at the end of the class. <laughs> yes, right. For or against? For or against. All right. Fair enough. I think that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't certainly don't know the answer to it. So, But I don't really play video games, so I think that, that puts me in the minority. But. I do. I, I, I moved to a, a Switch, which is as far away from virtual reality as possible because the screen's so small, so it's less immersive. So I'm fighting that. I feel way. like you're not getting something. I'm fighting that way, yeah. 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 Maybe just go back to a flip phone, too. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about leadership because um, uh-huh. we've talked about your entrepreneur entrepreneurial story. Mm-hmm. We've talked about innovation. Um, so now just your experience working with your partners, but mm-hmm. then also uh, managing others and mm-hmm. your advice to these folks as they're going to be graduating and heading out to the world. So the big thing that I've learned... It's, it's something that a lot of books have been written about, but you don't get it till you do it, is leadership is about leading, not managing. And I think as a, as a, a lot of businesses went through this whole idea that managing people was the way to do things, and we forgot that we needed to lead as well. 
So the difference being, um, you know, managing is about looking at the system and, and understanding the system and pushing and pulling and controlling how the system works. Leadership is about saying, this is the way things should be, and, and I'm going to set that example by doing that this way. And I, th- and I think that that was something that I, it took me a while to recognize and learn. As the company got bigger, I needed to be more of a leader and less of a manager, um, and it's helped a lot. Um, leadership is about sometimes having to make a decision, not knowing if it's right or wrong. Well, assuming it's, you, you, you're trying to make the right decision, but it, it, it may not be the right decision. And sometimes you just got to make the decision. I think that's the other thing that leadership really means is, is making those decisions with not complete information. Nothing's a sure thing, right? And um, we, we actually started the company with another partner who left uh, very early on because that was not something he was capable of doing. He could not make a decision if there was any chance he might be wrong. Mm. Um, and that's just his personality. And, and there's places he's very successful in his career, but he shouldn't be leading a small company, right? Because you got to take risk. You don't have enough information. Um, so being able to take risk and being able to make those those choices. And it's funny because my, my dad was a colonel in the Air Force and a fighter pilot, and, and that's what he did, right? That's his whole existence was he was that guy, right? John Wayne impersonate, you know, in person, awesome. making those decisions with very little information, you know, while at 20,000 feet, you know. And uh, I wasn't paying attention to him, <laughs> but now I look back and go, oh, he... He actually did this. So, you know, look at your parents and other adults that you know um, that are leaders and, and try and learn from them. You know, this at your age, you're supposed to rebel, but but pay attention to well, a big theme that we've seen throughout our recording has been this idea of having a um, professional or personal mentor. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how mentors have helped you in your career. I think it's a regret of mine is I never took advantage of mentors. Um and, and, I, and I had to reinvent the wheel a lot. And I, and I look back at people that, that tried to mentor me and I pushed them away because I felt guilty about it. Um, that, oh, well, they've, they have more important things to do. Um, and I should have taken advantage. Now that I mentor people, I thought, well, why didn't I? Like my first boss in my summer job at Lockheed Missiles in Space, which answers the question, yes, I worked on nuclear weapons, um, <laughs> was that... Uh, he, he was this brilliant engineer that is like known as the expert in mechanisms, like things that whiz and click and go, especially for satellites. And uh, he, he tried to mentor me and I pushed him away because I'm like, well, you've got more important things to do. No, you don't have time for this. You get, and I regret that to this day. And so definitely take advantage of mentors um, and uh, listen to them. They're not always right, but they make you think. Yeah, it seems like you screwed that one up. I did. <laughs> I did. Take it. Totally screwed that up. <laughs> totally screwed that one up. Anybody that's like the master of things yeah. that go whiz or whatever. Whiz and right? click for an engineer. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy literally wrote the book. <laughs> and I told him, no, you've got more important things to do. Nice. All right. Yeah. So don't be arrogant. <laughs> don't be arrogant. That's good advice. <laughs> be able to make decisions. Um, so your plea to the world first and then maybe make a plea to uh to the young the younger generation yeah see i thought about that one actually unlike the other questions uh, <laughs> that you sent me for you. um we're too selfish i think there's too much selfishness in the world and i and i think that that's the biggest and it's one of the so i'm on the advisory board here at gcu for the engineering program 
So if you want your courses changed, you can ask me, but I don't know how much to say. I know. <laughs> but um, one of the things I like about GCU, and one of the things we talked about before they formed this engineering program was you actually sat in that building over there somewhere. And what could be different about GCU is this idea of purpose, which, so you guys, service is part of what you learn here, right? So to me, that's what we need more of. You guys help the community. You work with other students. You know, the, the, what you do with the local uh, schools is just incredible. I don't know if any of you guys are participating in that, but you should. Um, but, but this idea that giving back to the community that's here at GCU is something we need to see in more places. Mm. Um, we're just so selfish. I mean, you look at the gun problem. What, what is really the gun problem? I don't want to give up my guns, right? That's, that's the selfishness, right? Um, the, the, our politics are, st- stay, are stalled because I don't want to give up my seat. Um, you know, it's, I want to get reelected, so I won't make those hard decisions that might make me lose my seat, but it's the right thing to do, right? We're so selfish now about everything. Um, why did all the manufacturing go overseas? Because when we go to Walmart, we saw a thing made in China, we saw a thing made in the U.S., and the thing in China was 10 cents less, and we bought the thing in China, right? I don't want to spend 10 cents more to keep jobs in the U.S. I want to pay 10 cents less. And we all do it every day. And I think we, we could really... I'm not, you know, I'm not advocating socialism, even though I went to Berkeley. Um, <laughs> I, I'm advocating maybe swinging the pendulum back a little bit and being a little bit more thoughtful about other people and giving back a little bit more and, and think about yourself a little bit less. So how do you advocate? Like, what is a practical thing someone could do for selflessness? Well, here at the school, I think, you know, getting, getting involved in the community is great. You guys have a great opportunity here um, because you've got the programs in place. If you're not... I mean, really think about, I mean, here's something I do. When I go to the grocery store, it goes to automation, right? I got my cart, you know, my food in there, and I go up and I go, I can go to the, the, the self-checkout or I can go to the person that's checking me out. And it's a lot faster and I don't have to have a conversation with another human being if I go to the self-checkout, which as an engineer, I prefer to not talk to people. <laughs> but I go and I go into the line and it takes me twice as long and I have to wait to go through the checkout. But that person that's checking me out has a job because of that, right? And I have to pay maybe, maybe my grocery bill is is $4 more because of the number of employees they have to pay to check out people like me that go through that line. But I made that conscious decision to not be selfish about it and say, this is a person's job. So I'm not going to use a self-checkout. I'm going to go through the, the normal checkout and I'm going to have to make silly conversation about the weather or some football game and I don't follow football with the clerk but you know that's that's a little thing you can do that gives somebody a little bit of job pay a little bit more for your groceries spend a little bit more time be a little more socially awkward but you know the selfish thing to do is go through the self-checkout so that's that's little things like that can make a big difference I think if we all just to make a little bit of a shift towards a little bit less selfishness. Maybe not, don't cut people off while driving. Maybe, you know, help somebody get something off a top shelf in the grocery store. There's little things like that. It's always fascinating to me to hear adults that say that I don't have time to do yes. certain things. Like when someone says, well, I'm like, well, why aren't you volunteering? And they're mm-hmm. like, I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you just haven't prioritized that. Like you have, everyone has it's time about to do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point. And, and that goes back to what we talked about earlier about running that half marathon, right? I don't have time to train for that. No, you haven't made time to train for that. So do you, do you need, is, is being less selfish a priority in your life? And, and maybe that means you donate money instead of time. Maybe it does mean you donate time. Maybe it means you spend a little bit more time in the grocery store. 
maybe it maybe who knows what it means maybe maybe it means spending a little bit more not for you guys but for my generation spend a little bit more time with your children you know because my generation can be a little bit selfish about um, putting our kids in front of electronics and not spending time with them right because it's then I can go do what I want to do right so there's a lot of things we can do if we're just it goes back to self-consciousness right and being self-aware awesome I think that that's great advice if you guys are not familiar with the 100-year Harvard study on happiness, I would just go to YouTube. There's a great TED Talk on it. And fundamentally, it's the people that are happiest over this huge study are people that have deep commitments or connections to their communities. And one of the themes over these podcasts that we've been doing is that the most important thing are having connections. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's talking about. Don't be... don't. Be less selfish. Be more connected to your neighbors. If you don't know who your neighbors are, meet them. Be more friendly to the people around you. Because if every single one of us was kind to the people that we had direct contact with, if everybody did that, then the world would become a better place. It's kind of a Pollyanna thing to say, but it's fundamentally real. And social media, going back to that, social media can be a tool that you connect with more people with and get to know them, or it's a tool that you can isolate yourself with. So like if you're only seeing one stream of information, use social media to see other people's point of view. I mean, I subscribe to Fox News. It turns my stomach, but I want to know what they're saying, right? Yeah. I want to know that point of view, and it's important that I know that point of view. So it's it's really important that we use these tools in a positive way, and I think you're exactly right. Being, being aware of it and taking the time to be part of a community uh, is so critical, and, and you guys are lucky to be in a school that stresses that, and I, I can't. I, I tell everybody that about what's GCU about? Why are you over at GCU? And, and that's the reason why I volunteer over here is this idea of purpose and community that you guys have. That most schools don't even think about it, right? So embrace it. Take advantage of it. It'll make you a better person and a happier person like this study says. Love it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Let's, let's open it up for questions. Questions about anything. I think that where we've gone wrong in education is that we, your generation has suffered from this a lot, is it's all about the test, right? It's all about the test score. Um, you know, that was part of my education uh, when I was young. It was a, you know, getting into a little bit of it, it's the, the idea of humanism in the American education system was quite strong in the 50s and 60s. And so um, it, it was part of my, my upbringing. Um, that and Star Trek, right? Uh, which is which is just humanist propaganda, propaganda right? Um, the uh, and that that's been taken out and replaced not with another ideology, but with study for the test, study for the test, study for the test. And and you know there is a role for that. We may not agree what that philosophy is that we teach, and I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people don't don't agree with that humanist philosophy. So that's one of the reasons why it's it's a dirty word in certain culture, certain parts of our culture. Um, but it did teach that. It did teach the things you were mentioning. And I think that we need more of that. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. Totally. 
I care less what test scores are. Um, so this is kind of more related to autonomous vehicles and such, but it's a general question. Um, I myself think autonomous vehicles are incredibly cool, that they can drive on their own. I think there's a lot of benefits to it itself, but me personally, I like driving. So I was just going to ask the general question of how well do you think this restriction to new technology coming is going to affect the future? That's a great question. Um, there's a there's a really good story called Red Barchetta that's also a, a song by, by Rush that addresses that exact question. So more humanist propaganda. Rush is uh, a band. It was a band years ago. Years ago. Your parents listened to them. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, that's the same question. This a is band a, the, the, is a group of people that play musical instruments. <laughs> it's not electronic. Yeah, it's not synthesized. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the whole premise of the story is uh, this guy goes out to his, his uncle's farm and he opens up the barn and there's this red Barchetta, which is a, a, a Italian sports car in there. And it's illegal to drive sport, any, uh, a self-driving vehicle. It, they all are, are robots. And so they go out and they, they drive around the countryside and get caught. And I will tell you the rest of the story. So, so I think that it is a really good uh, thing that we have to do. We have to learn how to balance. I think we forgot how to balance. So enthusiasts need to be able to drive their cars, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be a safe, right? If there's some guy out there in a big, big, big muscle car weaving through traffic, the autonomous cars may not be able to accommodate that. So we need to find out ways. Maybe there's a lane just for those vehicles, right? So I don't think we need to say no self-driving no, no self or uh, no uh, person-driven vehicles, right? We need to find a technological solution so we can have both. And if it's doable, if we don't dig our heels in and say, no, it's only all autonomous or it's only all human driven. And then, then I, I would add that the, the, the market will kind of dictate what that mm -hmm. looks like. So as you, it's yeah. uh, the next generation of kids will probably not be used to driving. So whereas you and I, like I would prefer to drive, you would prefer to drive, but you'll have kids that are born now that they say, I, I have no interest in that. Like that's not something I grew up with. I've always been in an Uber or self-driving car. So I... They have that's not even on their purview, so it'll just naturally the market will make it move more towards autonomous right, vehicles. Yeah. yeah, but like now, <laughs> yeah. a lot, now that's being delayed because some, some kids are like, I don't, I don't need that. I can get an Uber. I don't need to drive yeah. a car. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think you're right. The market's going to decide it, and we can help push the market. I think, but it will in the end decide what's going to happen. There'll be right. enthusiasts, and how do we handle the enthusiasts and not take away their rights? Because we have to figure out. Get you first. What are your thoughts on angel investing and how it is uh, impacting the community? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I, I'm, a, I, I'm in the middle of, uh, of losing a lot of money in angel investing, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Um, it's a really important, I, I'm joking, but um, it's a really important part of the startup ecosystem. Um, the, the, the problem with angel investing is that it is angels right it's not institutional it's our own money right so when we invest in a company it's it's our own money so we're not as free with it i think as people would like to see there's a lot of belief that the angel investment community is stingy uh, we actually invest a lot in arizona uh, through the angel community it may not just be in the companies that want to be invested in um, so we're not as we're a little bit more risk adverse here uh, than than other places where you know if, you, if you're worth a billion dollars you can throw throw around angel money 
if you're worth a couple million, you get a little bit more picky about how you invest it. It's a, it's a really important part of getting a startup going. There's a lot of avenues. Uh, if you can avoid, avoid outside investment, it's always better to self-fund, friends and family fund. Uh, angels are better than VC, um, but um, there's still strings attached with angel investing. So you got to make sure you're willing to have these uh, hobby investors in your life. And then you got to take care of them once they're in. Um, otherwise, we get really, really kind of angry. And I was just on a, I was just on a shareholder call yesterday. Like, this is the first we're hearing. It's been two years. This is the first meeting we've had. And you're telling me that you lost money. What, this is the first time. Like, what? <laughs> Let me know. And now you want more money? Uh, no. So um, we, yeah, it, angel investing is a lot of fun. I, 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 it's a way to give back as well. So from, from my perspective as an angel investor, I love it for two reasons. One, it is a way to give back to the community. And two, I learn every company that pitches to me, I learn something mm. about, a, about an industry I knew nothing about. Um, and it's, it's fascinating and really exciting. So going back to the self-driving taxi, mm-hmm. um, earlier you were saying how it's kind of selfish to like not to use self-checkout, but so if having 100% of the cars on the road being like self-driving that can talk to each other, if that would reduce all risk of 99.99% of accidents, don't you think it would be selfish of you to still choose to drive your car. You, you're exactly right. Yeah, that's the question, right? So yeah, it's selfish of me to say, and that's what's going to happen, right? The same people that are saying, don't take my guns away, or say, don't take my truck away. I mean, literally, those same people, right? That's that's They're about personal freedom. They're about doing what they want to do. And, that, and that, that truck is not talking to those cars, and they won't put the electronics on there for it to talk to cars. So what do you do with them? Do you take away their right to drive? Um I don't think so, but I don't think you let them just run through traffic as well. So the answer to the question has got to be some sort of balance, right? Mm-hmm. Do you let them drive on certain roads? Do you do you let them drive at certain times? Do you, you know, what? And then the market eventually will probably make that obsolete. But in the transition period, um, I, I think, yeah, you got to limit the amount of driving they do. But how do you do that without taking away their rights? Mm-hmm. So... Ah, let's do a let's do like a three year class on right. that one. So, so here's here's Eric's answer. I, I don't know if this is a valid answer or not. My answer is as a, as a democratic society, we decide what's a right and what's mm-hmm. a responsibility and what's what's a privilege. We've decided that driving is a privilege. We decided that a long time ago, right? When cars came out, we said, you can't just drive a car. You need a license. Uh, we used to say that owning a gun was a privilege. You used to have a license. You had to have a license to own a gun. We've decided now that that's not a privilege, that that's a right. Um, so we have to decide whether autonomous you know, driving a, a person-driven vehicle is a right or a privilege. You know, we have to make those, we have to get together and have a, a try and have a realistic and, and pa- non, uh, uh, civil, I, I want, yeah, civil, civil, civil is the word I'm yeah, looking for. Civil. I forgot even what it was because it doesn't go on anymore. <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. 
Um, and, and, and solve those problems. We used to be able to do that. We used to be able to say, this is a privilege, this is a right. And, and that's what that's what democracy is about, right? It's one of the fundamental things is the, the church and the state is not telling you what's a right and what's a privilege. We're electing people to decide that for us, right, in a republic. So, uh, and, and, and in like Arizona, we can put it on the ballot, in straight democracy. So we can say, you know, a minimum wage is a right. That minimum wage is going up over time, right? We voted for that in this last election. So... The answer to that question is keep arguing, put it on a ballot, elect people you agree with, and eventually we'll decide what's a right and what's a privilege. And it'll change over time. That's why Eric would like to announce his candidacy for... <laughs> I'm not that stupid. <laughs> uh, really quickly, uh, just going back to uh, being less selfish, mm-hmm. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. It's always tacky to say that's a great question, but that's a really good question. <laughs> it really, really is. Um, you know, it's a, the, the problem with being selfless is it's hard, right? If it was easy, we'd do it, right? So, so volunteering is a great example. A lot of times, you I, I remember once my, my wife volunteered for one of these, uh, she worked for a construction company. They went and they fixed up this person's house and cleaned it up and everything like that. And the people that were just jerks, the people that, who owned the house, they, they, were, they were jerks. They were, they, they were really kind of nasty about the whole thing and felt they were, they were really demanding and, and not, but you know what? It was still the right thing to do, right? And so um, I think that line is maybe uh, where the pain can be avoided by doing something. The way I look at it is I've got this amount of resources to spend doing this thing that's selfless. Um, this is painful. <laughs> Can I get the same benefit by doing something that's not that's a little bit less painful? It's kind of like the market, right? So nobody's going to help those people that are a pain in the butt, right? So, uh, you know, I think let the market take, let care, the market of take care of it in some ways, you know? And, and, and you know, don't stop being I, – I guess the, the line is uh, if it becomes more it's, – it's an economic – personal economics thing, right? The cost of doing it exceeds the benefit. That benefit is helping other people. Then it's time to look at another mm-hmm. thing. But don't stop. It's find something else that has a better cost benefit. Um, so transitioning from just normally cars like hard to drive them to self-driving cars, it's going to be a long process because like everything is very complex. How gas station is also how hotel operates, like how everything operates. Yes. How long do you think it's going to mm. take? So 10 years ago, I would have said 15, 20, 30 years. What I've seen happen with cell phones and, and, and um, hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles has totally changed my mind on that. I think that we'll be majority autonomous in less than 10 years. I, I just think that the market is going to push it that way. It's just the, the economics of it just makes – and the safety, the, the human cost and the uh, fuel cost and the ownership costs are so much better in this model that I think it's going to push the market faster than we, we, we can even, we're, we're just going to turn around and go, oh crap, it was 10 years ago that I got my first uh, Uber ride that was autonomous. 
And now I own an autonomous vehicle. You know, it's going to be 10 years. So coming off of that, do you think strategically, like companies in the world, are they already thinking about it? Like shifting their business to that? The smart ones are, mm -hmm. right? The smart <laughs> ones are. Um, it, it's definitely something that autonomy is something that all um, product companies that are aware of what's going on are looking at. It's not just vehicles, but it's it's automation in manufacturing. It's automation in design. It's automation in, in quality. Um, it's, it's everywhere, and everybody's looking at it because it is a significant competitive advantage. And you can take the moral high ground and say, I don't want to lay off all these workers um, because I can replace them with a robot. But if you go out of business, they're all going to lose their job. So how do you temper that so that you can provide the greatest value. Um, same thing with autonomous vehicles. I think we have to do that. What I'm hearing is we should go buy ridiculous sports cars now. Buy them now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely get them. Get it now. Yes. So I wanted to ask about, uh, or maybe you guys were talking about how all the robots are going to replace all the workers we have, like in the industry and stuff like that. Uh, my question is, where, what do you guys think they would, like, where would the, all those jobs go to? Like, obviously, Back in the day when everybody worked in the field and tractors came along and new technologies came along, obviously all of the other people found something else to do. Uh, where do you guys think it would, that would go to now? Like, what would be the new thing that they would be inventing? People fixing the robots. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's a big, what the that's a big part of it. Yeah. yeah, building the robots, fixing the robots, designing the robots, finding new applications for robots. Um, I think it's really, it's really. You brought up the great example. The industrial revolution is something we have to look at closely. That transition was extremely painful. Um, many people literally lost their lives in that transition. Hopefully, that won't happen here. But um, you know, there were there was starvation. Um, we 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 hopefully will be smarter about it this time. But we did adapt, right? And we and and, and in the end, quality of living. If we do it right, quality of life will go up, mm -hmm. right? We won't become zombies in our in VR worlds. We won't be got people on the dole living in public houses. There will be that gap. That's but there painful. will be that gap. It's painful, mm -hmm. and and we have to. We can't ignore it. We gotta accept it. I, I totally agree. Last question. Um, so I was just curious. Um, out of all like the futuristic dystopian movies, which one would you see most <laughs> accurate? I think that Star Trek: The Original Series is the most accurate. I think that we're gonna end up in a very positive, very uh, uh, equal, where race and gender don't matter anymore. I think that's where we're going to end up. I really, really do think we're going to end up there. I don't believe in dystopian futures. Maybe I'm being optimistic. I think that dystopia happens in the transition. Hmm. And, and I think that we as humans do figure it out eventually. If you look at history, we figured it out. Look at how we live now compared to how the Romans live, right? That was probably the peak of civilization before the Dark Ages, right? And then we had the Dark Ages, and they sucked, right? But now look at how we live. We live in a pretty, we complain about life today, but it's pretty sweet compared to how people lived 2,000 years ago, right? I think we'll get there. Um, I think the transition's going to look like, uh, oh gosh, that's a really great question. Um, Blade Runner. Mm. I think the original Blade Runner. I think that's going to what the transition's going to look like. It's going to be kind of messy and ugly like that. Based on the book? Does anyone know the book? <clears throat> I think more like the book. Yeah, yeah. More like the book. But the, the, this Ridley Scott movie was pretty close to. Yeah. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Which is a book that you all should read. Well, thank you, Eric. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank Great questions. Yeah. Excellent work.
We always close the show the same way, which is uh, keep questioning because the struggle is real. Please, if you've enjoyed the show, download us. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play. It's Figure It Out. Leave us a review. Subscribe. Share it with a friend. So thanks, guys.